We're going to be in Mark chapter two. We're going to start in verse number one says, and again, he entered into Capernaum after some days and it was noise that he was in the house. Could preach a message right there. It was noise that he was in the house. Where's Neil at? It was noise that he was in the house. Come on. There you go. That's what I'm talking about. And straightway, many were gathered together. In so much that there was no room to receive them. That's what we want to see in here before we go to the next building. No, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. I promise you, if you get them here and we can fill this place up to where they can barely come in the door, Neil will let them know that the Holy Spirit has arrived and I will preach the word to them. We'll do that together. Amen. And they came unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. When they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed where the sick of the palsy lay. Father, we pray this morning that you would greatly anoint your word, O God. Use me as a vessel and a tool this morning. I pray that the word that is preached would be anointed, but also the ears and the hearts of they that receive this morning. Father, let us all be anointed to participate, partake, and fully receive your word this morning, God, because we love you. We know that you are good and you are boundless. We know that your mercy knows no end. We want to receive the loving kindness of your word this morning and everything that you have for us in Jesus' mighty name. Everyone said, amen. You may be seated this morning. God is good. Amen. God is good. I just want to worship him this morning. That's really what I want to do. I almost want to just get John back up here, turn the music back on and worship him. But before we do that, I want to run through this word with you really quick. I don't know your relationship with God. I don't know if some of you don't know God or don't believe in God or haven't spoken to God in a while. If the concept of God is is even foreign to you, if you want to call him your creator, if you want to call him the divine being, it doesn't really matter what you call him as long as you know the only way to him is through his son, Jesus Christ. The sacrifice that he made on the cross. For those of you that are Christians and you're thinking, it does matter what you call him, let me share something with you. Elohim, Adonai, El Shaddai, Hashem, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Most High, the Lily of the Valley, the Rose of Sharon. There's a lot of different names. So we can call him whatever we want to call him as long as we call him through his son, Jesus Christ. He is the only way to the Father. He is the Most High God. If you're not sure about that, follow along with us in his word this morning. And it's not just the word. But the movement of the spirit that you'll feel in your heart this morning, if you can just for a moment, trust me, trust the place where you are at. I promise you will let you take all of your beliefs with you when you walk out of the door. Just lay them down for like 30 minutes. I don't want you to have that kind of anticipation. 15 minutes. And if I go over, I'll apologize at the end of service and just see because I, I am not a charismatic enough speaker or preacher to make your heart move the way that the spirit will make your heart move. So if you feel something in you this morning, if you feel a stirring in your spirit, and if you don't know what your spirit is, if you feel a stirring in your heart, if you almost want to look to the person next to you and say, I'm not sure exactly what's going on. I shouldn't feel like I'm on a roller coaster while I'm listening to somebody speak. It's not me and it's not you. And it's definitely not Mario's. It's going to be the Holy Ghost. Just believe that this morning for the next however many minutes. And then if you're uncomfortable with it when you leave, you can turn back into the person that you were when you came in. 
But we're going to drag you back eventually. Mark chapter 2. God is good. Amen? What we're preaching on this morning is the residue of the Holy Spirit. The residue of the Holy Spirit. Mark chapter 2. They entered into Capernaum after some days and it was noised that he was in the house. I want to tell you a little bit about Capernaum. Capernaum was one of two places that I can remember off the top of my head. That Jesus Christ eventually turned around and said it will be better in that day for Sodom and Gomorrah than it will be for you because of your unbelief. Capernaum was a hard place. Capernaum was a place where they were not open. Normally to the word of God was a place where they were not open to the ministry of Jesus Christ. But even in Capernaum, we have this one event. Again, he entered into Capernaum after some days. Again, everybody say again. Again, he entered into Capernaum after some days. You know that Jesus Christ never gives up. You know that he'll never leave you nor forsake you. At some point, he had to turn around and say, it'd be better for you. It'll be better for uh, for Sodom and Gomorrah, which was destroyed with fire and brimstone in the Old Testament. It would be better for them than it will be for you. But even though he had that feeling about Capernaum, he went there again. And when they wouldn't receive him, he left and he did mighty works and then he went back again. And then they didn't want to hear from him and he went off and he raised people from the dead and then he came back again. After some days, he said, eventually, I'm going to get here on the right day. Maybe you don't want to hear from me now. Maybe your heart is not open now. Maybe you're not accessible now. If I have to, I'll come back on Christmas when everybody's open to it. But at some point, you're going to hear. He is not going to let a single soul stand before the judgment seat of God in the heavenly realm with an argument. About not getting a fair shake. You can deny him. Deny him. Deny him Peter. He will come back for you again. And it doesn't matter how many times. It just takes once. You reach back towards that nail scarred hand. And say I'm sorry that I denied you for so long. I saw your works in my life. I saw your miracles in my family. I saw lives change and I would not give my heart to you. Thank you so much for reaching down again. It takes once. And it was noise that he was in the house. And straightway many were gathered together in so much that there was no room to receive them. How did they get there? How did they get there? Was it because of the masterful preaching of his sermon? Was it some miracle that went out across the land? Was it his reputation? None of those things. They would have all worked, but they probably would have taken longer. The way that they got there was based on the testimony of the people. He came in again. Not only did he not give up, but there were a few people in Capernaum that wouldn't give up. And when he got there, it was noised abroad that he was in the house. In other words, there wasn't just a contingency of people that were happy with underground church that nobody else in the land believed in Jesus Christ. So they were going to gather together themselves secretively and receive him and not tell anybody. They knew the rest of the land didn't want to hear about it. Maybe they don't like spirit-filled churches around here. I don't know. Maybe they're not into people speaking in tongues, but it's in the Bible. Maybe they're not into the Holy Spirit. They just want to feel good about life and about heaven and about not going to hell, and that's great. 
But when the Holy Spirit shows up and does a work in your life, if you want your friends and your family to find that, you want them to find that reality and that depth with God, it needs to be noise abroad that he was in the house. You got to let people know we're made overcomers by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. I did not mean to preach any of this so far. So I don't know who all this is for, but please, will you just give in so we can get to the sermon? Insomuch that there was no room to receive them. Hmm. Maybe, maybe if we get done with our building, we'll increase in size and number and spirit. Maybe not. Maybe it'll be the next building. Maybe people won't like this building as much as we want them to like it. Maybe when we get other bright, shiny new things and we can point to all the different things we have going on in our church and how great all of our ministries are. Maybe then we'll gather the crowd together that we really want or we really need. Maybe the next thing we do is invest in very legitimate TV equipment. We get our we get a station. We get our our service put on television. Maybe I need to hook up with somebody at TBN. Maybe if we get there and we get a little show on Daystar, maybe at 2 a.m. we can replace whatever master prophet is on at 2 a.m. right now. And maybe we can maybe we can get our own show. And then maybe people will come together. Maybe or maybe if it's just noise abroad that he's in the house, they don't care what the house looks like. They don't care how shiny it is. Maybe if they heard our testimony, they would gather together so much that we wouldn't have room to receive them. Not so much as about the door. In other words, they didn't even make it in the building, much less that they care about what it looked like. They were standing outside hoping that one day they'd be able to get in. How do you produce that kind of a testimony? I think we'll get there this morning. And he preached the word unto them. And they came unto him, verse 3, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. That's King James and regular English. That just means four people were carrying him on a bed, one at each corner, like a cot kind of a thing. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, there were so many people. They ripped the roof off where he was. And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. Somebody say with me, there's always a way. I can really understand you. There's always a way. Thank you. And thank you, Neil. There's always a way. There's always a way. Well, I was really trying to get to Jesus Christ. I was really trying to get into the presence of the Lord, but my alarm clock didn't go off. Well, I was really trying to make it to church this morning. I was really trying to get into the building, but I got a phone call and ABC happened. Well, I was really trying to get into the presence of the Lord, but I had so much on my mind. I was really wanting to stay, but I had to go. I was really wanting to get something from God, but I couldn't make it up to the altar. I was really thinking about going up to the altar, but then I thought about this and then this happened and this is going on and I'm not worthy enough and my life is crazy and God doesn't love me and my parents weren't there and I couldn't get a ride and I lost my keys and I don't have a car anyway. Even if I had my keys, there's no way that I could possibly, there's just too much going on. The guy couldn't walk. Do you think he was so popular that at four people, not just one best friend, but four people were like, man, we're not going to go to this crazy, awesome worship service without Dave and his and his cerebral palsy. We love we love Dave and his palsy. 
Dave is always the life of the party. He's like the craziest crippled guy ever. Everybody loves Dave. Maybe they did. No, I'm not sure if his name was Dave, but we're calling him Dave. And they just decided, man, let's go. Let's go pick up Dave and let's go. I don't think so. I think Dave wanted to go. I think he recruited four guys. He probably asked 14. He probably begged groups of people. Please, can somebody take me? Please take me. Please take me. Please take me. Well, I really wanted to go, but I can't. You can't what? You can't walk? Because Dave couldn't walk. So if you don't have a good, as good of an excuse as Dave, I don't really want to listen to your excuse. God bless you. I love you. And I'm not trying to be rude, but you all have your legs from where I'm standing. So Dave had to beg people. He got four people to carry him. All four people were probably like, I can't believe I'm going to carry this dude. We were getting there early. We got our tickets online. Now the crowd is out the door. I'm not even going to be able to get in the door. I really wanted to see Jesus. They didn't know that even if they would have showed up 30 minutes earlier, they would have been in the front row, but they wouldn't have got to touch him. So here they have Dave, and Dave is begging, and they get there. Are you happy, Dave? Now we can't even see. You're on a bed. You wouldn't be able to see anyway. What are you going to do down there, Dave, in the dirt behind this huge crowd? And then one of them was like, we got to get closer. And the other one was like, how are we going to do that? And Dave was like, please, 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 please. And they're talking and they're like, okay, okay, here's what we do. We're going to climb up on the, we're going to climb up on the house and we're going to, we're going to tear a hole in the roof. And Dave was like, hallelujah. And they were like, no, we're going to go. Dave, we can't take you. How are we going to get you up on the roof? And Dave was having none of it. I don't know what he had to do, but somehow he talked them into carrying him on top of the roof in a, in a bed off four. How'd they do that? Honestly. They got up there and they ripped a hole in the roof and they let him down. And by the end of the story, they got the attention of Jesus Christ. It doesn't say that anybody else in the crowd really got his attention. It doesn't matter where they got their tickets or how far up in the front row they were. It doesn't matter what section they were in. They, Dave really wanted to be there. For those other people, they found it somewhat convenient. For Dave, it was not convenient. It was last minute. He probably wasn't going to get to go, but he was not going to give up. And when he got there, he wasn't about to give up in the back of the crowd either. He was going to find a way. Everybody say, there's always a way. So they let Dave down through the roof. Verse 5, and when Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, son, thy sins be forgiven thee. See, I preached a message a long time ago. I haven't preached it here. And I will one day called you have little faith. And what I was able to, to at least convince myself of was in studying the Bible that there are certain types of faith. I know for sure there are certain types of faith because everybody has faith. But then there's a gift of the Holy Spirit called faith. And it's a different level. But when studying it, what I found is that in my mind, there's a, there's another level, too. And it's called little faith. Some of us just have little faith it seemed like all every time that jesus addressed somebody of little faith they were always believing for what they were going to eat what they were going to wear where they were going to stay uh how they were going to not die like on the boat and jesus said oh you have little faith all these different times and then there was just another kind of faith like the real deal faith which seems to be like the the stick to it faith faith to stay the course And my best example of that kind of faith, the best example I can find in the Bible, is the Garden of Gethsemane faith. Where even Jesus Christ could see down the road that it's not going to be easy. And even he said, Father, if you can, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. That is the highest level of faith that I can find in the Bible. The faith to stay the course. 
So I don't know what's going on in your life with your wife, with your husband, with your family, with your kids, with your church, with your thought process, with your entire life and how you feel about it. But if you can bridle your tongue, the Bible says it leads you everywhere that you go. It's like the bit in the horse of a mouth. It is a it is a two pound piece of metal that leads a two thousand pound animal everywhere that it goes. If you can just convince yourself life and death is in the power of the tongue. This is like seven messages. And if you can if you can just control your tongue to say what Jesus said. Instead of being negative Nancy about it, instead of seeing every bad thing 10 minutes down the road, instead of seeing how everything is going to turn out and getting down in the dumps, this part's literally for me, then you can convince yourself to say, Father, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Jesus, the God part, could probably see everything that was going to happen. But for our example, if you put yourself in his shoes I don't know if I, if God called me to do that, I would have no idea. Like, honestly, 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 I'm not sure why getting nails driven through my wrist. I don't know how that's going to help anybody. How is that going to turn out good? Getting nailed up to a cross. How is that going to turn out good? Because I'm, I've told God a few times I'm willing to sacrifice things for the greater good and for his glorification and for people to be saved and all that kind of stuff. And I, I thought I meant it. I really did mean it, although I didn't know what I was actually saying at the time. But every once in a while, you find yourself in the midst of a situation, and you don't know if God is using this as a sacrifice or the devil is using this as a tool to kill you, and it really doesn't matter. And you're not sure, like, God, I don't understand. I speak about your goodness. Do I really have to go through this? Because I don't see how this ends up good for anybody. And I'm sure if you were in his shoes, you would have thought the same thing. My is my beard getting ripped out of my face going to literally actually cause somebody to worship you? Because if so, okay, but I'm just not sure that's the way to go about it. Do I have to take all those lashes on my back? Is that honestly going to get somebody saved? Because if it will, let's do it. But I'm just not convinced that there's not a better way to save that person. Do I have to get nailed up to the cross? Do I have to die He couldn't see the glorious sin. He probably could. But if you were in his shoes, you wouldn't be able to. So what he's asking you to do in a situation like that is to just fall down to your knees and say, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. You've got to be convinced in your mind that his will, no matter how bad it looks right now. I want to give somebody these notes and you preach them to me, except I don't have any notes. Wish I could. Thank you, Lord. I will. Yes, I hope this is getting recorded. I'll listen to it myself. Where were we? Verse six, where there were certain of the scribes sitting there. Reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? Now you read that and you think they're honestly just mad at Jesus Christ for saying your sins be forgiven you. But they're also mad that they got their tickets on Ticketmaster and Dave came through the roof. They're honest. I mean, I'm serious. Think about the situation. They're a little bit jealous. They did everything right. They're the rich people. They wore the right clothes. All their stuff is in style. It's in season. They had their tickets a long time ago. They were at the front of the crowd. They didn't get forgiven for anything. Dave busted through the party. He didn't even have a ticket. Came through the roof. This man speaks blasphemies, obviously. He doesn't recognize us. 
and our tickets. How can he forgive sins? Only God can do that. Verse 8. Immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why do you reason these things in your hearts? Is it easier for me to say to him that is sick of the palsy, Your sins be forgiven you, or to say, Arise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto you, Arise, take up your bed, and go your way into the house. And immediately, verse 12, he arose, he took up his bed, and he went forth before them all. And so much they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw it in this fashion. I want that testimony. I want somebody to look at my life, your life. I want somebody to look at Edgewater Church, and I want them to turn around and say, we've never seen it done this way. We've never seen it that way before. This guy showed up in the only vehicle that could have gotten him there. He spent about a couple of minutes in the presence of God, and he he carried that vehicle back. The thing that carried him, there's so many lessons to be learned in this story. His bed, his cot, that was everything to him. That was his full surroundings. That was the thing that gave him comfort, that gave him rest, that brought him peace, so to speak. It was his vehicle. It was his transportation. It was as much a part of him as anything else. If somebody would have seen Dave not in his bed, they would have had to look a second time. Who is that? Oh, that's oh, that's Dave. I didn't recognize you out of your bed because he was always in that bed. That was part of Dave's life. That was a big part of Dave's life. There's a lot of te- there's a there's a lot to learn. That bed had control over where Dave could go, so to speak. So there's a great story inside of this story about how spending one minute in the presence of Jesus Christ can give you power over the things that formerly had power over you. That's an amazing thing, but you have to receive first forgiveness of your sins. What does that mean? That means Jesus Christ is not interested or not, maybe you could even say not able to give you that kind of power if you are not able to stop playing games and realize for a second, I can spend however many years I want to spend feeling sorry for myself and feeling a false humility about not being worthy to be in his presence, or I can just stop all that, decide to receive the forgiveness of my sins and have power over that thing that had power over me and take that power and walk away with it. There's that. There's also the concept of a guy walking down the street with a bed in his hand. What? That's weird. A bed is a place that you lay down in. He's not laying down. He's walking around. It's like going swimming fully clothed or seeing a guy standing in his boxers in the middle of a snowstorm. It just doesn't fit. As, I mean, back in the day, especially just walking around Jerusalem with a bed in your hands. It doesn't really make any sense. I'm sure he caught a lot of double looks like this guy walking around with a bed. We've all seen people carrying weird stuff. You always wonder. There was, who was that with Cody? We were eating lunch the other day. This lady, I'm, <laughs> wow, this lady walks in. She has a really big purse. <laughs> she's got a license plate sticking out of her purse. And Cody noticed first, he was like, that lady's got a license plate sticking out of her purse. I was like, I guess she really doesn't want anybody to be able to steal her purse. I don't know what she's doing. 
The license plate number of my purse is XYZ, three, two, or whatever, if you're looking for it. Thank you. I thought that was funny. And then she walks up to the counter. Kid you not. She walks up to the counter. She pulls out a $100 bill. And she asks this person who either is very timid or doesn't full, like, full-fledged speak English. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. It's just who they were. And she pulls it out and says, have you ever seen a $100 bill like this? And the person's like, I don't know. And she was like, well, I'm just not sure if this is a real $100 bill. I want you to look at it and tell me if it's a real $100 bill. And they're like, do you want a hamburger? Like, I don't, she's real, she's on it. We heard the whole conversation. She's really trying to figure out this is a counterfeit bill. Me and Cody were both like, hey, lady, there's a place called the bank. They'd be able to figure that out for you a lot. She, it was just out of place. Don't walk into a hamburger joint and ask about your $100 bill any more than you'd walk into the bank and order a taco. It doesn't make any sense. So here's this guy walking down the street with a bed in his hand. So what's another lesson to be learned there? You spend one minute in the presence of God and people should realize very quickly that you are out of place. You don't quite fit. You are in this world, but not of this world. You live here, but it's temporary. You're an ambassador of another kingdom. You're an alien in the land. You walk around with a bed in your hand instead of laying down on it like you're supposed to. You do things a little bit backwards. I don't need to teach you about that, right? He is a God that understands the end from the beginning. We're going to go through that for 10 minutes. If you've been here, you've heard that a thousand times. There's another concept about walking around with a bed in your hands because a bed is a place of rest. It is a place of serenity. It is a place of peace. You spend one minute in the presence of Jesus Christ and you should have the capacity to bring rest and peace to other people. So it's okay to have that bed in your hand. It's a little bit out of place and people will laugh and scoff at you being out of place until they get a taste of what you've got. Oh, you haven't. You don't know about this bed. You don't know about this bed. You don't know about the rest. You don't know about the peace. You don't know about the God that I serve. So it's okay if you look at me funny. It's okay if you laugh at me a little bit. But taste and see that the Lord is good. Experience that for yourself. There's another concept about this man with the bed in his hand. It's a concept of the overcoming power of testimony. I know this one's true because that's how the people got there in the first place. So when you give your testimony and it multiplies because the person next to you gives their testimony, if somebody meets one person from Edgewater Church and they talk about how powerful it is and how God showed up and this is going on and that is going on, that's an amazing thing. If a, if another person walks up beside them and confirms that testimony and says, yeah, it's done this for me, you just multiply it by a factor of 10. If another person walks up and says, I feel the same way. And before long, 15 people are talking to a group of people about what's going on at Edgewater Church. Before long, that gets out there and the whole crowd shows up. And then guess what God does? He starts healing people in the midst of that. He starts setting people free. He starts bringing victories and answers to prayers. And he says, now pick up your testimony and go. And hold it in your hand. Don't try to hide it. I want people to stop you and say, hey, what's that bed all about? Because then you have an opportunity to share. And then it just reciprocates over and over and over again. It's another concept about the man with the bed in his hand. How many of you have ever seen a person walking around with a bed? You have, but you don't know it. Because I called it a bed instead of a sleeping bag. 
How many of you have seen people walking around with their sleeping bags, walking around the streets? Who are these people? Homeless people. There's another concept, and it goes along with one of the earlier concepts. And it's understanding that life is vapor swift. And as a Christian, you're not home yet. You need to understand each and every day when you walk out of your door. You might as well carry your bed with you. Because this place where you stay that you call your house, it's not permanent. You're homeless. And that's okay. Because they said, Jesus, let's go check out your crib. And he said, the son of man has no place to lay his head. So it's okay. Don't get too comfortable in your own surroundings. Because he's coming any minute. And if he doesn't physically show up while you're still alive... All of our days are numbered, and that's okay too, because he gives us power over the one who had power over us through fear of death. We don't fear death. We see it as a doorway because we're carrying our bed around anyway. I'm about ready to put it down somewhere permanently, but it ain't going to be on this side. Everybody say there is always a way. There's always a way. There's always a way. If Dave can press in to the presence of the Lord God Almighty and walk away with all of that, and Dave had no legs, and Dave had no ability, and Dave probably didn't have the friends to get it done, but he made it happen anyway. If Dave had no entrance, but he was able to rip through the roof, there is always a way. Let's try it like this. Mark chapter 5, verse 1. We are coming to a conclusion soon, I promise. They came over unto the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gadarenes, and when he was come out of the ship... Immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. I just want to point one thing out. I'm not really going to preach on it. I'll let you study it. That ship represents the body of Christ and it represents salvation, just like Noah's Ark. It's a place where he brings you into when the rain comes, when the storm comes. It is the, it is the modus operandi of your salvation and it's surrounding and it's a place of comfort. It's that honeymoon phase. But I got to tell you this right now. You need to know if another pastor hasn't already told you. You can step into that ship of salvation, but eventually he's going to call you to step off. And that doesn't mean that you're no longer saved. It means you have work to do. And as soon as you step off, immediately the enemy is going to send an unclean spirit from the tombs to meet you. His job is to keep you in the graveyard. Your job is to get back to the ship. Verse number three, who had his dwelling among the tombs and no man could bind him. Nope, not even with chains. Because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. Stop right there. Crying and cutting himself with stones. The first thing, one of the first things that you need to realize about this man in the tombs about this Gadarean with the unclean spirit, which, by the way, it's not unclean spirits, unclean spirits. You see in a few verses later that he calls the unclean spirits. They they testify, if you will, to Jesus and they say, our name is Legion. You look that word up. That means six thousand. So this man is tormented with six thousand demons. But when you see that he is in the graveyard, breaking fetters and breaking chains, that's the power of the demonic. But the humanity actually comes forth in the cutting. When it shows that he is sitting there and he is tortured and he is cutting himself, 
That is a picture of the idea that there is still a bit of his humanity left. He doesn't know how to get rid of these demons. He doesn't know how to get away from the torturous spirit. The only thing he can think of is if he cuts himself, maybe it can release. Maybe it will release the demons out. Maybe they'll come out of him. Maybe they'll stop bothering him. He doesn't know anything else to do. And you can use that however you want to use that, because I know that people that deal with that, and uh, and that's that's great. I'm not really preaching about that. I just want you to see the humanity of this guy. The reason I want you to see that is I don't think it's a coincidence that verse 5 precedes verse number 6, which says, But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him. Verse number 7, And he cried with a loud voice and said, What do I have to do with thee, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that you torment me not. Very interesting. Very interesting. So what I want you to realize is that there are demons and there is a man that are both present in this story. Everybody say two voices. It's showing you in verse number five, the voice that you're about to encounter. It's showing you a bit of his humanity. The first voice you encounter is his humanity. Two voices speaking here. He runs and he worships Jesus. That's the man. Immediately as he begins worshiping him, the other voice comes out and says, Jesus, what do I have to do with you, son of the most high God? I adjure you, I beg you that you do not torment me. That you do not torment me. How is the legion, the 6,000 demons, how can the demons themselves Feel tormented. It's very interesting that the demons would use that word because the demons are the tormentors. But when a man in the midst of his torment can somehow for one moment find a way through the crowd. I wonder how many people were standing outside the doorway to that house. Maybe it was 6,000. And Dave couldn't find his way through. But when he looks all around and he figures out there's no way in, he remembers there's always a way and he finds a way through the roof. When a man who is tormented with 6,000 demons, when a person like you or like me encounters every bit that hell has to offer, when every sin in the book has thrown itself at your face, When it's not just one person trying to get you to go to the bar, trying to get you to go to the club, but it's 6,000. When every time you turn around, it's a new drink, it's a new drug, it's a new email, it's a new message, it's a new offer, it's a new thing, and you can't seem to get away from it, and you're tormented, there's one way to fight back. If you can press through the crowd and for a moment begin to worship God, I mean... Worship God. I don't think I pronounced that right. I mean worship God. I'm still not saying it right. I mean worship God. When you can for a moment find a way. And sometimes you don't even know what that feels like until you've hit the bottom of that barrel. But if you can remember Jesus when he hit that place, so to speak. In the Garden of Gethsemane, if you can look up for a moment. Then the demons start to cry out. Stop tormenting me. 
Stop tormenting me. Because you're worshiping God. I didn't know I could torment demons. But I just figured something out. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and he worshiped him. Now that's from your point of view. He's never far from any one of us. But when he seems far, distance doesn't matter to the Holy Spirit. Let me try it like this. Maybe it's for the same person. I haven't been to church in 17 years. There's a lot of distance between me and God. When he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him. I haven't prayed in 27 years. There's a lot of distance. When he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and he worshipped him. I haven't felt close to God in months. There's a lot of distance. When he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and he worshipped him. I don't know what this means to your life. I haven't in a long time. You fill in the blank. And there's a lot of distance between me and Jesus. And that 17 years, that 27 years, that 32 years, that 55 years, those are years full of sin, full of ungodly thoughts and words, full of actions. I couldn't possibly put more distance between myself and God. 6,000 demons, my friend. 6,000 demons cannot stop one man from worshiping God. That is the power of the enemy that has separated you from your creator. 6,000 demons. If you just get a glimpse, even if it's far away, just for a moment, they can all grab you at the same time. But if you just take one step forward, lift one hand up, worship God for one moment, you might walk away with a bed in your hand. Changed. Testimony. Different person, healed, sanctified, set on high, made whole, justified, glorified. All these things. One moment in the presence of God. Maybe the woman with the issue of blood heard these stories. The worship team can go ahead and come up. Maybe the woman with the issue of blood, because this woman literally took her life in her own hands. Because in that day, when a woman had an issue of blood, she was considered unclean. And she was not supposed to be in a crowd of anybody for at least seven days. For at least seven days. And then, if she had done the cleansing rituals, she could be considered clean she could be seen in public again. This woman had an issue for 12 years. She was probably a lot like Dave. Probably didn't have very many friends. Because for 12 years, she wasn't really supposed to be around that many people. She heard about Jesus one day. How'd she hear that? No internet. No Facebook. No Twitter. She wasn't on Dave's Twitter page. Hey, guess what? Saw Jesus today. Hashtag healed. Didn't happen. So how'd she hear about it? Must have been that crazy little thing. The first social network that was ever invented. Testimony. Testimony. She heard he was there. She went outside. 
if I can have a little poetic license, it might have, it might have been her first time really going outside in a crowd in a very long time. She might have been a little sensitive to the sun. She might have been a little bit lost in her surroundings. But she stumbled forward and she found a way. She definitely was sick. She had an issue that made life a little difficult. But she heard about Jesus. It's in the, it, it, there's a story about it in Mark. I believe it's chapter nine. So everything we've read so far has been out of Mark. We've gone through chapter two and chapter five. Maybe some of the testimony she heard was from Dave. Maybe Dave had to walk by her house with his bed to get to his house. And she was like, whoa, what's Dave doing with his bed? What's Dave doing walking? And then she heard the story. And then in Mark chapter 5, I mean, how that ends, Jesus casting demons into a, a herd of pigs running into the ocean, that made the, the nightly news. Maybe she heard about that. Maybe she saw that guy walking around. And she was like, Jesus is in the land doing things. Now, I haven't been to church in 12 years. A lot of distance between me and God. Maybe she saw him from afar off and she ran and worshipped him. We know for sure that to touch the hem of his garment, she had to be down on her hands and knees. Maybe she was down on her hands and knees because she didn't want people to be able to see her face. She had her little deal on and she didn't want people to know because she could get in trouble for touching somebody because she had an issue of blood. Much less a rabbi like Jesus Christ. And she had it in mind to break the law right there. I like that. If it's an order to worship God, I'm saying. So. She's crawling through the crowd. Every person she touches is a broken law and a possible outcome of getting stoned to death. She finally makes it through the crowd, presses, the Bible says, through the crowd. Everybody say there is always a way. Up to the hem of Jesus Christ, grabs him, and immediately the Bible says virtue went out of his body. And he said, who touched me? And all of his disciples were like, everybody's touching you. You're like Bon Jovi, and Bon Jovi hasn't even been born yet. Everybody's trying to get a... Um, back in the day, could have got somebody more popular. It was the first concert I ever went to. Anyway, so... He's a superstar. Everybody's trying to touch him. And he says, who touched me? And they don't understand why. How did he even feel somebody? I mean, there's so many people. Because she came through on her hands and knees. She took her life in her own hands. She saw Jesus afar off. She had to fight through a crowd of 6,000 people. Everybody telling her that she couldn't do it. She hadn't been to church in 12 years. She had no right to be there. She was at her wit's end. She was at the bottom of the barrel. She said, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. She was willing to give it all, sacrifice it all. Her eyes were finally open. She saw Jesus Christ afar off. She pressed through the crowd. There was no way. She ripped open the roof and she said, I've got to have something now. And whatever that means for me, if it's going to change me, I'll walk away changed. I don't care if that means I had all the skin on my back before I showed up and now it's all been beaten off. If that's the change that's necessary, fine. If it's healing, great. If it's not, I don't care. I need something. I'm tired of sitting in the same place I'm in, drowning in my own issue of blood for 12 years. I, I need the blood of Jesus Christ. Wherever that takes me, wherever that leads. Philippians Chapter 3, verse 13 says, Brethren, 
I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto the things which are before, I press. Everybody say, I press. Everybody try to say it as loud as Neil's about to say it. Everybody say, I press. Oh, God, I love that. Let's do that again. I press. Oh, man. About to get born again, again. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Jesus Christ. Everybody say, I press. Are you ready to press this morning? I press. I don't care where you're at. I don't care where you were at when you came in. I don't care if you're not a Christian. If you act like one for the next five minutes, we won't tell anybody. It stays in here. What happens at Edgewater stays at Edgewater. If you can just press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling in Jesus Christ. We're going to change the name of the sermon because I never got to the residue part. It had to do with how the Holy of Holies gets cleaned. And it's a very interesting story and I was really looking forward to it. But this is what you have done. God is good. Amen. Next week, we'll try to talk about that. This morning, if you would stand to your feet with me, I want you to take the opportunity of this next worship song. I want you to close your eyes. When the music starts playing, close your eyes. I want you to think about Dave. I want you to think about the woman with the issue of blood. I want you to think about the Gadarene in the graveyard. I want you to think about Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. And I want you to say in your own spirit, this morning, I'm going to press. This morning, I'm going to press. Are you out there? Can I get an amen? This morning, I'm going to press. Are you ready to press in? Are you ready to press through? There's nobody to your left, nobody to your right, nobody in front or behind. It's you and God. And what happens here stays here. If you don't know him, take this opportunity to ask him if he's real. If you do know him, remind him that you're here still. And let's press forward and worship God. And I promise you... If we get into his presence, we'll all walk out of here with our bed in our hands. Metaphorically, you're not getting the prize for being here this morning. Everybody say, I press.